Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our young adult ministry leader, Riley Monzo. Well, hey church, it's so good to see you here online. As you can probably tell by my stature and my lack of facial hair and my higher pitched voice, I'm not Pastor Nate, I'm not our lead pastor. My name is Riley. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I oversee our young adult ministry and some of the production services that we do here at Calvary. But I just wanna say, hey, and I just wanna say, man, it's such a privilege to be here with you. I'm so thankful for Pastor Nate and for our pastoral team for allowing me the chance to break down God's word and to serve it to you today. I don't take this lightly at all. Man, I think about you all the time, church. I pray for you and to get the chance to speak to you. Man, it means a lot. So I wanna jump right in with you. We're in Philippians chapter one, verse six today. Before we jump into that verse though, I just wanna give you a bit of background to why I chose this passage for us today. You know, a couple weeks back, Pastor Nate on a Tuesday night went through Genesis 41. If you're familiar with that passage, then you know that it's all about Joseph. Joseph was a guy who experienced slavery, but also was elevated to the second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. He's a guy who experienced relational loss and redemption and healing in his family. This is a guy who experienced nothing and everything, lack of power to total control. And throughout his whole life, what we see in in his life is a brand of faith that is resilient. It, It just goes through every single season with so much conviction. And we know this in a big way because of what Joseph says in Genesis 41. He has a son and he names that son Ephraim. And this is why he named his son Ephraim. Joseph says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Man, through everything that he went through, he didn't complain, he didn't bicker. Instead, he said, man, God has been crazy faithful to me. Not only faithful, but he's been producing life. He's created fruit from my life. And man, I just love this passage so much. It jumped off the page to me because when I read fruitful in the land of my affliction. I was like, you know what feels like affliction to me? 2020. 2020 has been nuts. And I don't know how it's been for you, but I know for many of us, we've experienced some serious affliction, whether it was related to the pandemic or not, whatever it might have been, 2020 has been quite the year. And for Joseph to look at his time of affliction and say, man, God produced fruit encouraged me because maybe you're thinking right now that this year has been full of affliction and not fruit. Maybe you feel like you haven't seen the fruit in the land of your affliction. I just want you to know today that the same God who was with Joseph is the same God that is with you. Man, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, then the Spirit of God is inside of you and He is with you through every situation that you go through. So my hope today is that, you know, as we go to Philippians chapter one, verse six, that we will see that the same God that was active in Joseph's life 
is the same God that's active in the Philippian church and in Paul's life, and is the same God who's going to be active in your life and my life today. God is faithful. He is going to produce fruit. So let's check out Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and see what Paul says during the time of his own personal affliction. Paul says this to the Philippian church in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. I'm so encouraged by the way that Paul saw the work of your hands and believed that you were gonna be faithful to complete it in your timing. I just wanna pray God for me and for my brothers and sisters listening that we would have a similar type of faith as Joseph and Paul, resilient, strong, and confident, not in ourselves, but in you, Father. So please use this time to strengthen your church. We love you, God. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, just a bit of background or setup for our study today. Uh, the book of Philippians. It's not really a book, actually. It's a letter. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church. But it's not just any kind of letter. This is a prison letter. This is a letter that Paul wrote while he was behind bars to a church that was being persecuted for their faith. In prison. Persecuted. And this letter is written not to complain, not to despair, not to be hopeless, but instead to produce so much hope, so much life, and so much joy. It's amazing when you read this, this letter because what you see is a man who's in the worst of circumstances to kind of like our worldly society's standards. He is writing a letter of encouragement to a church that is on the brink. Man, this church was hurting. It was probably a smaller church, maybe about 40, 50 people, maybe meeting in somebody's kind of like what we call like their backyard, um, just in a small place, kind of like undercover. And they're probably feeling like, man, this whole faith thing feels like it's kind of falling apart. The Roman government hates us. We're having a hard time surviving out here. And Paul is writing to them saying, man, take up faith, have joy, be confident in Jesus. Why? Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus. So this is a letter of encouragement. I believe that what Paul is really trying to communicate in this particular verse is that God has begun a project inside of the Philippians. He has begun something in their hearts and in their community. He has begun something, he was continuing that work, and he was going to be faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus. And this is my first point for you today. Write this down. God does not begin bad projects. He just doesn't. God doesn't begin bad projects. Let's check out what Paul says here in Philippians 1 verse 6. Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began. Let's just stop there for one moment. We're talking about Paul's confidence and his confidence in a person. 
Now, Paul's confidence didn't come from the Philippians, like what they did themselves. He wasn't like, I'm so confident because you dig deep, church. I'm not, I'm confident because, you know, you got grit. I'm confident because you know how to work inside yourself and produce self-discipline. He wasn't confident in any of that. Paul was confident in someone else outside of the Philippian church. Who was he confident in? He was confident in he. Confident in he. Who is the he we're talking about? We're talking here about God. We're talking about God the Father. We're talking about God the Son and God the Spirit. We're talking about the threefold work of the Trinity happening inside of the Philippian church. Now, I wanted to say it like that because I believe that this is really true, that you don't get to escape the Father, the Son, or the Spirit from operating in your life. You better know that all of God is working out something in the Philippian church, and for us today, he's working something out inside of us. I love the way that Charles Spurgeon said it in his reflection of this verse. Spurgeon says this, the work of grace has its roots in divine goodness of the Father. It is planted by the self-denying goodness of the Son, and it is daily watered by the goodness of the Holy Spirit. It springs from good, and it leads to good, and so is altogether good. This work of grace, this gift that God gave to the Philippian church saying that, man, there is something I'm doing inside of you. This work of faith, this work of goodness has happened from me, God, to you. It has been rooted in goodness. It has been watered in goodness. And it is springing up in goodness. Man, what an encouragement for the Philippian church to know that, man, God's doing something inside your life. Paul knew it, and he's trying to communicate that to the church. Look, church, it's not by your own doing that something good is happening from your life or in your community. Far be it, it's happening because God is getting inside of your lives, transforming you and causing fruit to come out of your life. Even through the persecution, even through the hardship, even through the trials and the loss, God is doing something in you because it's not just about your, your circumstance or what you do or what you dig deep for. It's happening because God's on the move, whether you like it or not. God sees you and he is working in you. Paul says, man, I'm confident in, in this God who is doing a good work inside of you. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that Paul says, I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you. He doesn't say, I'm confident in he who began this good work, like he was referring to something that he previously said. He's saying a good work. What is a good work? I want to give to you a couple of um, explanations that I've heard some different theologians and scholars and teachers give to kind of illuminate what Paul is talking about here uh, with good works. Now, the first explanation could tie into something that Paul has referred to in the book of Philippians. It could be this, that this good work is the Philippians partnering with Paul in the work of the gospel. 
Now, you have to remember that Paul and, and the prison that he's in, he's not in like a modern day prison like you and I know it. Um, it. He's not just in cells with outside time and specific jail sentences and um, the different kind of things that are going on in prison. You can tell I'm very aware of what happens in prison. <laughs> um, I'm not. But it's not like a modern day prison system. For Paul, man, when you went to a Roman jail cell, you were left there to rot. The only way you would survive is if someone you knew knew that you had been thrown into prison. If they brought you food or brought you money or brought you clothes, if you didn't have any of that, it was just bye-bye sayonara, man. Like you're, you're gone. Paul received financial assistance from the Philippian church. There are people from the church who came and supported him and in that way, partnered with Paul so that he continued doing the work of God even in that jail cell. He's like, look, church, you've given me a way to, to have a prison ministry when I'm not with you. Like, I'm, I'm here in prison because of your support, because of your funds. I'm able to stay alive, to write, to encourage the people who are here. And so Paul says, I mean, maybe what Paul is saying here by referring to a good work is the partnership that the Philippians had with him in gospel work through financial assistance. Maybe another thing that Paul is trying to get at here is a partnership with Jesus and creating a Jesus kind of culture uh, within the Philippian church. The good work that Paul might be saying here is that, look, Philippians, God has done something inside of you and he is now creating this culture and environment within your church, your, church your, your community that is flowing with love and with service and with outward humility and love towards the people around you. You've been partnering with Jesus in this work to grow the church, to sustain the church, and to develop a community of love and support. So maybe that good work that he's talking about is more from like a community culture sense, like, hey, You've taken a hold of what God has told you to do. You've partnered with them and you are now creating, you're going out and making this community within your church family. So that might be like one thing that Paul is getting at here. A third thing here could be referring to just the redeeming work of God inside of the Philippians and in their hearts and in their lives. What Paul could be saying by saying a good work is he could be referring to to salvation, the, the, the work that is produced by God in our lives. He'd be talking about the forgiveness of our sins. He could talk about us being born again into the family of God, of us now being made righteous in God's sight because of our faith. He could be talking about just only the work that God does inside of human lives, that renewal, that regeneration, that restoration. That might be what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about a good work. He's like, there's a good work happening and man, God's gonna be faithful to complete this at the day of Jesus. It could be any one of these things, but despite exactly what Paul might be saying, all these are good things, right? Like we, we love all these things that we just talked about. The big thing here, just to know that what Paul is confident in is the work that God is doing. Not just in what the Philippians are doing, 
but in what God is doing inside of their lives. Paul is, I think, in a, in a slight way trying to remind them, hey man, any growth that happens in the church, anything good that happens, it's not just because of you. It's because of what God is doing inside of you. This whole work is being birthed and brought to life because of God's spirit in your midst. And so he's just saying right from the get-go, man, it's all happening because God is on the move. Whether you like it or not, he is doing something in your midst. So those might be a couple of the reasons or a couple of the things that Paul is getting at when he's talking about a good work. But I want to kind of present to you maybe a secondary explanation of a good work. When I was reading about this passage, I was reading about some different theologians who believe that maybe the good work that Paul is talking about here is the inner work of you know salvation inside of us, but then also talking about the outward demonstration of that faith. And so I wanna give you a little bit of an example of what Paul may be saying, if that's the case, um, from the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, when Paul writes the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's writing to a church to encourage them and kind of pointing them forward towards a hope in Jesus returning for them. This vision that God is coming close. I believe this is like very closely tied into what we're studying here in Philippians 1 verse 6, talking about things being completed at the day of Jesus. But what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 are a few things that I believe are, are good works. Paul's looking at the church and saying, man, this is good stuff that's going to cause a good reputation for the church and for the gospel in the community. And this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, I remember before our God and Father your work of faith, number one, your labor of love, number two, and your steadfastness of hope, number three, in our Lord Jesus Christ. These are good works that are being produced in the Thessalonian church. And I believe that this is the kind of work that Paul wanted to see God produce inside the life of the Philippians. But let's take a look at each of these things that Paul saw here in the Thessalonian church. Work of faith. Work of faith, man. What is a work of faith? A work of faith is putting what you know in your head into action through your hands. What, what do you know and what do you do with it? We, we know so much, right? We know that, man, Jesus served us and so we should serve others. We know that Jesus loved us and so we should love others. Sometimes though, it just stays in our head, right? What Paul's getting at here is, man, let that stuff that you receive flow out from your life. Let it be a work of faith. Serve someone, love someone, forgive someone. Come on, I'm coming to your living room right now. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Let that, that understanding that God forgives you through Jesus infiltrate your mind and cause you to now forgive the people in your life. Work of faith. He talks about a labor of love. How many of you know that love can sometimes feel laborious? It is hard sometimes to love the people in our lives. Sometimes it's really easy, right? We have people that we like and we just get along with. It's like, oh man, I would die for you, bro. 
I would jump in front of a train for you, bro. I like you, I love you. But think about that person who drives you crazy, who when you leave work, you're just steaming in the car about, you complain to your spouse about. Think about that person that drives you crazy, who you feel like, man, if they say one more thing, man, I'm gonna lose it. Think about that person. How hard is it to love that person? Paul is saying here, man, you're gonna have to let that, that, that love come out of your life. It may not feel easy. It may feel like labor. It may feel like you're going to work right now trying to love this person, but this is a good work from your life. And then he speaks about steadfastness of hope. Now, I love this. Steadfastness of hope. You know, I, I think about our world, our society, the culture that we live in and swim in. Man, it is full of cynicism. Man, you turn on the news, you open up your Instagram feed, you know, you look at Twitter. Don't go on Twitter for a while. It's just toxic, okay? We are just a culture that is steeped in cynicism and critique. And it can be hard to have hope during this time. But what Paul is getting at here at the Thessalonian church is, man, as you look and see what God wants to do in your life, as you see his activity in your life, I want you to have a steadfast sense of hope, not just because of what you're going through right now, but because you know what the end of the story is. And for you and me, man, what can we do in this culture and society by having a steadfast hope? This could be game-changing for our families, for our roommates, for our lives personally. Having an attitude that says, man, I know the end of the story. I know what God is gonna do when he establishes his kingdom, and I'm going to continue taking steps of faith into that reality every single day because I believe that God is coming. So I can have faith and hope today. I love what Leslie Newbegin said. This is a, one of my favorite the, uh, theologians. They said, I'm not a pessimist or an optimist. I just believe in the resurrection of Jesus. You know, for some of us, that steadfastness of hope is easier. For others of us, it's harder to have. But through it all, you know, whether you lean more pessimistic or optimistic, you and I both can have this sense of hope because we believe in the risen Son of God, Jesus. We believe that he rose from the grave, that the Spirit of God filled his body, rose him to life, and that he now has ascended to the right hand of the Father and is waiting for the day to come back and establish that kingdom. And we can believe that and have hope and faith for everything in front of us. These are good works that God wants to produce inside of us and in our communities. Now, just for a moment, I just want to speak to you. I feel like, um, you know, I was studying this passage this week and um, I kind of debated whether or not to share this, but I feel like God put something in my heart just to share with you. I feel like there might be somebody who's listening to this, watching this right now, who has been struggling with hope in their life right now. I don't know what you're going through right now, but maybe you feel like God has given up on you. Maybe you feel like this life isn't worth living anymore. Like the project that God has started, that he's failed on it and that he could never complete it in your life. I don't know who you are, 
or how you're listening to this right now, but I want you to know that whatever God has started in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. That faith that has been burning in your chest that maybe is just discouraged right now, he wants to see that come to life. He wants to see you through the difficulty, through the depression, through the anxiety, through the hopelessness, and remind you that, man, he's got a purpose and plan for your life. He wants to cause that steadfastness of hope in your life. He wants to produce work and labor of love. He wants to produce work of faith in you. I'm asking you right now to grab a hold of what God wants to do in your life. Not just to make yourself feel better, but to be able to grab onto this purpose and plan that God has for you. God is not done with you yet. I want you to know that today. He has these things in place, not just for the Thessalonian church, not just for the Philippian church, but for you in your church context, in your family, and in your home. God is not done with you yet. This project he's begun in you, it's not a bad project. He only begins good projects. He has begun that in you for a reason. I encourage you, wake up tomorrow. Grab a hold of faith and believe that Jesus is with you every step of the way. Okay, God doesn't begin bad projects, but what is God gonna do with these projects that he started? What's he gonna do with this faith that has begun inside the hearts of the Philippians inside of believers? Well, here's our second point. God finishes what he started, what he starts. God finishes what he starts. I love this. At the end of verse six, he says, Paul says that he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This work of faith that has occurred in the life of the Philippians. Paul believed, man, that God was gonna see them through till the day of Jesus. When God begins something, he's got the end in mind. He doesn't start without a plan. He doesn't start on a whim. He produces good work. He begins projects knowing that it's going to be completed at a future date. And here we see that man's work of faith is gonna be completed at the day of Jesus Christ. I want us just to see a couple things from this short part of the verse. The first thing is this, that the end is in sight. I need you to know this today. The end is in sight. Paul knew that the Philippians would be encouraged if they could see the end of the story, if they could read the last page for a moment and then come back and work towards the end, that that could produce some kind of confidence for their day at that particular moment in time. The journey of faith, man, is a wild ride full of ups, full of downs. It's, it can be scary at times. It can be overjoyed at different times. But through it all, man, we have this end, this confidence that is going to occur in the future. That one day, man, Jesus is going to establish the new heavens and the new earth. His kingdom will reign forever. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more arguing. There'll be no more worrying about rent. There'll be no more worrying about a virus. 
There'll be no more despair. There'll be, be only joy because we're in the presence of Jesus at the day of Christ. The end is in sight. Paul wanted the church to knew that, man, this good work of faith was gonna be completed in that moment. The second thing we see here is that the Philippian church was not alone. I think Paul wanted them to see that, that not only was the end in sight, but that Jesus' spirit was with them. By, by Paul saying that he'll be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, gives me hope that Jesus is with us every single step of the way of this journey of faith. Now, you may be feeling right now like you're alone in your faith. You may feel like you've had this faith, you've been practicing this faith, and you feel like, man, I don't feel God right now. Maybe you've had that, what some theologians have said in the past, as the dark night of the soul. You feel like God isn't close. But I want you to know, man, God is close. God is speaking. God is with you. I'm not saying that just to try to make you feel better. I'm saying that because that's God's word. This is what we read about in scripture. I wanna to read to you another passage that Paul wrote to the Roman church. In Romans chapter eight, verses 35 and 37, he says this about God's love towards them and the fact that they can never be separated from Jesus. This is what he says to them to encourage them. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What Paul's trying to show the Roman church here is that, man, I don't care what you go through. Nothing's going to take you away from the love of God. God loves you so much and the bond of love cannot be broken by anything you go through. And so church, I need you to know right now that God is with you through your affliction. God was with Joseph in his land of affliction. God was with Paul as he was in prison. God was with the Philippian church as they were experiencing persecution. And God is with you because he is faithful and nothing can tear you apart from the love that he has shown towards you. It's dependent on him and he is faithful every single time. He loves you and he is close to you. He will bring this all to completion because he is with you every single step of the way. The Holy Spirit, as you gave your faith to Jesus, as you placed your hope and your confidence in him, God deposited the Spirit inside of you. I don't know if you know that, but if you placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus' Spirit now is inside of you every single moment of every single day for the rest of your life. God is with you. You are not alone. I also want you to see this, that the reward is great. The reward is great for this good work, man. The reward is great. This good work will, compete, will be completed at the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the day that we look ahead to, 
recognizing that, man, when Jesus establishes his kingdom, the new heavens, the new earth, that you and I, we will be able to come face to face with Jesus. This is our great reward for choosing faith, choosing to follow Jesus. Not only can we survive through today with hope and faith and confidence, but we will one day be able to see Jesus face to face. It's the greatest reward that we could ever experience. I love the way that John talks about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says, in that day, at the day of Jesus Christ, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Brother, sister, have your eye on the future. See what God's plan is all about. See the project that he has began inside of you and where it's going to end, where it's going to be completed. And I pray this will give you so much confidence for the future. Now, let's just close this out with a couple of last points, okay? I want you to see something here. I want you to see life's hardships as opportunities for faith. Now, I don't know how you process difficulty. I know that for me, if things are hard, if I'm going through some kind of confrontation or conflict, I can easily go inward. I can easily just try to peace out, try to, you know, cope with my own just kind of coping mechanisms, and I can try to recluse really easy. It's easy for me just to kind of go inside myself. I don't know if you're the kind of person who likes to fight back, you're the kind of person who likes to ignore and just try to pursue something fun. I don't know if you just, what it might be for you when conflict, when affliction arises, but I want you to know that no matter how you face it, there's a chance for you to jump into a deeper sense of faith. It's an opportunity for faith here. There's a a chance for you to trust in God's promises that what he has began inside of you will come to completion at the day of Jesus. Thomas Merton once said that life is a search for the unfinished symphony. I feel like that so often during our trials, through our hardships that, you know, we get so stuck just trying to figure out the ending of this particular situation. But as you know, uh, life rarely has these kind of like series of conclusions. It feels like there's always like a new thing that we're going through. But with Jesus, we actually get to one day hear the end of the song, hear the end of the symphony. Rather than just being focused on it being unfinished right now, we can operate from knowing that there is gonna be an end, there will be some resolution, there will be the, the final note, and now I can just enjoy and I can persevere through the hard parts of the symphony, through the hard parts of the song, because I know that one day it's going to resolve. And for you and me, we know it's going to resolve in Jesus, establishing his kingdom here on earth. And my last thing I just want you to think about here is that I just want you to keep God's plans right in front of you. You know, we oftentimes worry about tomorrow. And Jesus tells us that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. It's actually a sin to worry. It's a 
worry is just a kind of representation of mistrust and a lack of faith on our end. He says, don't just worry about tomorrow. The, the sin is worrying. And oftentimes we worry about just tomorrow. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not a problem to think ahead. You know, like we've been talking about, God's a planner. He thinks ahead and he works with the end in mind today. So the problem isn't looking to tomorrow. The problem is worrying. But I do feel like for me and you, sometimes one of the problems for us is that not only do we kind of miss out on the present by thinking about tomorrow, but we, we miss out on what God wants to do in the future because we're not looking into the future far enough. It's not just about worrying about tomorrow. It's that we don't think about what God is really trying to do far out. I believe that if you and I, if we had our minds set farther in the future, not just like the future like of our temporary lives, but if we had our minds set on heaven, if we thought about the completion that God's gonna produce in our lives at the day of Jesus, man, if we could have that vision in our minds constantly, I just think about like the way that we would live our lives would be so amazing that we have so much hope for the future. And I just wanna encourage you to think far out and to bring that reality into your motivations for today. Again, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks to the Thessalonian church and he says this, may he, God, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all of his holy people. Amen. What Paul is trying to encourage the church in here is that, man, they would have this faith that leads them to becoming strong, blameless, and holy before Jesus that day. My prayer for you, church, is that at the day of Jesus, you're not caught flat-footed. My prayer for you is that you had been living a life of faith and confidence up until that day so that when, when you present yourself to God, you're seen as strong, courageous, full of faith, set apart from the world, and focused on living your life for Jesus in your everyday life. We all want the ending of the song right now, but that ending will only come when we see Jesus face to face when he establishes that new kingdom here on earth. Church, I love you. I'm praying that, man, you're encouraged today, that you grab a hold of God's vision for your life, place it in your mind, and take steps of faith today in confidence knowing that God has a plan for you and your life. Love you, church. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.